Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. Following on from Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, Gordon Strachan and Kevin Bridges, we went up to a rainy, uh, muggy San Sebastian in what we hoped would be the Spanish summer to talk to him for a couple of reasons. One, um, I've known him and his brother for a long time and I find them interesting. And secondly, because David became Manchester United manager at a very controversial time in the club's history, a very difficult time in its evolution. And I think that because that's been spoken about so much, and he's done so many different interviews on television, radio and newspapers, it has rather eclipsed the fact that his life in this game that we love is full of colour and interesting facts, coincidences, and I think that he's got things to say, things to tell us about it. So when we went up there to the very beautiful Maria Cristina Hotel on the banks of the river that cuts through San Sebastian City, we ended up talking about Iceland. No, not where you buy fish fingers. We ended up talking about Peter Stringfellow, which was something of a surprise to me. We began to find out that David actually learned his footballing values and began to think about coaching at the very same places Sir Alex Ferguson cut his teeth. No, it's none of the clubs you were thinking about. We went on to talk about Johan Cruyff, Marco van Basten, Tommy Burns, Danny McGrain, David Beckham. Yeah, he crops up. And then right back again to Sir Alex Ferguson and how he found David Moyes too intense and how that judgment by Fergie cost David Moyes a Champions League winning medal. This is in two parts. This is part one, because there was so much we spoke about that we decided to leave in-depth talks about Manchester United, about Everton, and about Andres Iniesta in particular, to part two. For the moment, sit back, relax, enjoy. We are in the beautiful sunny... No, hold on. We're in... It begins with S. San Sebastian. We're in San Sebastian. And it's raining and it's grey, although it's July. But uh, the wee ray of sunshine in my life is the fact that uh, we're with somebody I admire and like and have followed for a long time and have wanted to do this big interview podcast with, for a long time, David Moyes. David, thank you for sitting down with us in this... Nice little drawing room you've got in your in your house. It's marble columns, and it's, it's where a man of your stature should be residing. But, but I mean, heck, this is quite nice, isn't it? Welcome to my city, and, <laughs> and welcome to my my living room. It's uh, if we could describe it, we're in 
Georgian grandeur with columns and gilt and chandeliers and uh, it's not your normal surroundings for a football life is it? It's not but uh, I think we must let everybody know it is the hotel here yeah. and, and probably the finest hotel in San Sebastian. Finest hotel I've ever been in my life yeah, I think. and uh, you unfortunately said it's a bit grey here but I have to say it's been great weather here and a beautiful place. I don't want to invite too many people <laughs> out here but I've got to say if you've not visited this city you should think about it. It's really elegant isn't it? I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the most beautifully designed cities in Spain and I don't know if you feel the same but I've felt all my life that I feel more comfortable in a city mm. with everyone and this one is a beezer it's yeah. an absolute kicker I feel part of the tourist board here that I tell everybody <laughs> you know you've got to come and see San Sebastian the river runs down the side of the hotel here it's, it's a beautiful place bridges over it the sea and the beaches we have at the side as well so the people here are really really proud of their city and rightly so mm. they've got a beautiful place and it's slightly different in the summer than it is to the winter you know, at this time just now, it's really busy. Lots of people about on the beaches, enjoying the outside life. In the winter, it's uh, not as warm as most people would think Spain would be. But mm. uh, nevertheless, it's a, it's a great place to come. Can we go to a different kind of by the water? I've always been fascinated, and although I know a little bit about it, I do want you to explain how you began as a semi-pro or a pro playing mm-hmm. football in Iceland. Because it's a long way from... Iceland to here, it's, it's not a common path, it's not something that Scots do regularly, I think it's not very well known about you, and it's also pretty interesting. Well see all that intro you've just given me, uh-huh. the truth is I never played in Iceland. Get out of here! Yes, what I actually done was, when I was 16 year old my dad used to take groups of teams to Iceland for years and years my dad was the coach at Drumchapel Amateurs but also was a teacher at Annie's Land College I'll tell you what, if you visit Glasgow there'll be thousands of boys who'll tell you that they went on these tours to Iceland and the stories they would tell you (laughs) you're certainly not able to go out in your podcast, that's (laughs) for sure but I did go out coaching one year, out to try and earn some money, Uh, I think I was probably 16, I went out and I went to the Westman Islands actually for the people who know Iceland there's Reykjavik and there's the Mm -hmm. main country then the Westman Islands is one of the uh, the islands just off and actually that had been where the volcano had erupted a few years before so I went out there and uh, done some coaching stayed with a family for a few weeks so that myth about me playing out there I never played out there anything it's it's still I wonder if I overdramatise it but it's quite an adventurous step at 16 to go to Iceland to try and earn money and to coach it I think it says something about you at 16 Mm -hmm. that yeah no I'll do that yeah no I think at that time I was feeling, even then, probably, you know, I was enjoying no playing with a ball, mm-hmm. no taking kids for football, you know. When you look back now, I think, my goodness, maybe, maybe I was already started then, you know, even just talking about it. But ultimately, all I wanted to be was, was a good footballer, you know, and a better footballer. I'm not saying that going to coach in Iceland at 16 was going to make me a better footballer, but I think it was certainly doing the right things at that time. And I was trying to do the right things most of the time to become a good player. For people that don't know anything about Drumchapel Amateurs, mm-hmm. so it's just a name to anybody outside yeah. of Scotland, it's hard to overestimate mm-hmm. what a rich foundation for so many careers mm-hmm. over so many decades yeah. that was. Yeah. Can you tell people who don't know about it a little well, bit people, about it? People who come from Glasgow, certainly more, a few years ago, would certainly name Drumchapel Amateurs. They would name other boys' clubs. You know, Easter Craigs were a well-known. I think it was Glasgow United and Celtic Boys Club were all great, famous boys teams in Glasgow Drum Chapel Amateurs were one of the top ones and you know the, the players that have come through it you could reel them off Andy Gray John Moore Casey Hartford and Sir Alex Ferguson was another one who played with Drum Chapel Amateurs the club was in Dintoker 
and uh, you used to go in there and you go up the steps and all the pictures of all the players were on the wall small pictures you know, they were in frames of all the famous players that had played for the club over the years and I'll tell you what there was hundreds of them it was a great breeding ground it was a great club great boys club for bringing players through and as we well know nowadays you know those sort of boys clubs have sort of gone now you know you're nearly in with the clubs and you're, you're part of the best boys so I think from that point of view that's what Drumchapel Amateurs stood for. They were a great club. But, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. But the people who come from Glasgow will recognise this. They used to meet at Waterloo Street, and they were the first boys' team. They brought the players to have lunch. So at that time, most players played for the school team in the morning, and you played for your boys' club in a Saturday afternoon. And they all had to meet at the Waterloo, where there was a, a restaurant there, and the Drumchapel Amateurs got them all lunch. And they were the first team, first club to sort of do that. All the players from all the teams came there. And Douglas Smith, who ran it, was sort of, I was only going to say world famous, but certainly famous in Glasgow. You know, he made sure that all the players got their dinner, got their lunch before they went and played for the team in the afternoon. You've got to remember, this is just an amateur team. Mm-hmm. But it was great. They all turned up with, with blazers and ties on. So there was a lot of the, the correct way to go about it. Values. It was a great values, yeah. as you say. And actually, the players had to sort of take a bit of pride in playing for it. You know, the players at that day, you know, used to enjoy walking about with a Drumchapel Amateurs bag. You know, you'd walk about with a bag with your boots in it and your towel, and it would have a Drumchapel Amateurs bag. So it was a proud Glasgow club. And at that time, my dad was one of the, the managers of one of the teams. So as a young boy growing up, I grew up going with him to the games, you know, watching him take the team, you know, the team winning, the team losing, you know putting out the strips before the game, you know, bringing in the dirty strips after the game, you know, chasing the ball down the road or off onto another pitch wherever we were playing. So I, I found a lot of my, my young life was actually following my dad, who was sort of one of the managers of one of the teams. It isn't too, too long after that that you find yourself in a certain era where they're still very powerful, very successful. If I'm right, they have probably greats of our game, like, Danny McGrain, Tommy Burns, somebody who I was very close yeah. with and, and who treated me superbly and, mm. and we saw the world together and we'll come back to going to Juventus, going to Turin with him. I suspect you played in a Celtic side where those values you saw at Drumchapel Amateurs were taken and magnified and it was Billy McNeil, an elegant man, a mm. good man. And it ended up with you not only winning the title but we talked about when you got the job here and you were explaining your European past for Celtic, a part of a team that eliminated Ajax, starring... Mm-hmm. Johan Cruyff mm-hmm. what an extraordinary experience that must have been I put down a lot of where my beliefs my philosophy if that's the modern word to use for it now on what I was brought up at Celtic Celtic is a great tradition of playing and whereas we were talking a lot about Drumchapel Amateurs I played for Celtic Boys Club Celtic Boys Club had a great philosophy in bringing boys into the team and putting players in and it's a bit like where Real Sociedad's at with their philosophy but what I will say is my learning experience with the players you talked about, Celtic had a great team then. Celtic had a great team, you know, Roy Aitkins, Murdo McLeod, and, you know, Tommy Burns, Danny McGrain, Frank McGarvey, George McCloskey. You know, we could go on and on of, of players who were in that team and who I really enjoyed playing with. It was a tough upbringing. And maybe in those days, coaching wasn't maybe like the way we talk about it nowadays. I, I believed in those days you got thrown in and you had to grow... I wouldn't necessarily say at that time the managers, the coaches were out on the training pitch saying, this is what you do, this is where you go, you know, 
they sort of expected you to step up every level. You know, those players at Celtic were, were top. At that time, Scotland, is, most of them were Scot- Scottish internationals. What did those players show you and teach you? Winning. No, Tommy Burns. Tommy Burns was fierce. <laughs> yeah. Tommy Burns, we used to play games and, uh, you know, I'm telling Billy McKinley, my assistant out here, when we're out every night walking, talking to him about football, saying, no, Tommy Burns, no, wouldn't let you put a pass astray or, you know, or he was on your back, you know. Fierce and you're a young player. He was good with you, he was fierce in the pitch, but he was great with you off the pitch because mm. he wanted you to tell him he wanted you to get better. But players you mentioned, Danny McGrain was probably the best player I've, I've ever played with in my time. You know, he, he was strong, he was tough. You know, you didn't need to say anything, Danny's sort of look. So one of the best players. And I was really fortunate at the time, Billy McNeil was really good in my time. And, uh, you know, he was somebody who'd won the European Cup. He had a stature, he had an aura about him. He had a big chest which stuck out. And, you know, when he walked in the room, you sort of thought, you know, here's the boss coming. Natural authority, isn't it? Natural authority, yeah. And he had that. You know, he had something which we all would have liked to have been. He was a guy who stood up and lifted the European Cup above his head. So he had that about him as well. So that European Cup was 67. And for three of the next five or six years, it's Cruyff's Ajax who lifted it. Do you remember the anticipation? Did you, do you remember yeah. Cruyff was on the pitch, the player, the briefings from Caesar? I'm asking this yeah. because I'm, I'm no shame in admitting I'm obsessed by Cruyff. Yeah. Cruyff the elegance, the first mm. footballer who really moved me, mm. not Pelé, although I saw him in the yeah. World Cup on television in 70, but also a guy who's crafted out a philosophy at Barcelona, mm. the club that I've been interested in and the city I lived in for 12, 13 years. So I'm genuinely fascinated about just yeah. even the, the glancing... Mm-hmm. Touching the hem of greatness because you played against the, yeah. the legend himself. The, uh, we had Ajax in the European Cup and I'd just got into the team, there was injuries and I played at Parkhead and I remember getting up and the Ajax team then, Cruyff and Jesper Ols and Jan Molby. Mm-hmm. But the first thing was, you know, Johan Cruyff being in the pitch was... Johan Cruyff was one of my, like you've just said, one of my heroes mm-hmm. as a footballer. I liked Platini, Cruyff, but Cruyff, when I get the opportunity to play against him, and if you remember those days, it was the European Cup and you could only wear jerseys 1 to 11. But everybody remembers Johan Cruyff only ever wore number 14. But in the European Cup, he had to wear 1 to 11. So we played the first leg and we drew two each. And I think Jesper Olsen nipped past me to make it two each or that. But it was a great game. And I remember, you know, it was a real nervous game. Mm-hmm. You know, 60,000 at Parkhead. You know what European nights are like at Celtic Park. It was sensational. And Ajax were a top team. So we went, we went over to Ajax uh, and we won over in Ajax. I was substitute, came on with about 25 minutes to go. And I keep saying, it, I think it was me and George McCluskey who came on and, and George scored the winner. We both came on together. And uh, at the end of the game, we've gone through. It's an incredible result. And, you know, we were into swap shirts. And uh, at that time, it was sort of swapped off the pitch. It wasn't like maybe nowadays where everybody's changing shirts. So I said, yeah, can I swap my shirt? And anyway, I get number 14 jersey back. And I'm saying, great. I'm going to tell everybody this is Johan Cruyff's shirt. But then it's 1 to 11. And it was one of these things I never thought much of until it was probably, for some people know Danny Craney. Danny Craney was at Celtic. And... And for some reason, he sent me the programme from the game that night. And I looked through it. Number 14 was Van Basten. Really? Number 14 was Van Basten for Ajax that night. So I still have Van Basten shirt in my house from that time. And I was nearly telling people it was a jersey of of Croy. But I've actually got to say, I'm very happy to have Van Basten's as well. That's not the worst piece of fortune, I must admit. (laughs) 
in those days, that that was, I think, in 81, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, year, a year later, I came to the World Cup in this country and that began my fascination with the way in which this country treats football culturally, mm-hmm. how they train, how they consume it, daily football papers full of it. And the World Cup inspired me to come back and live here and so on. But I know that in your time, whether that World Cup was yours or not, you, you've been a proper tartan army mm-hmm. volunteer. You've, you've uh, followed Scotland. Everywhere. Even as a professional player. Everywhere. I went to Wembley to see Scotland play England when it was at Wembley every year with my dad. And uh, we used to go down and, you know, he took bus loads. And I'm telling you, you know, we used to get on the bus. We got on Annie's Land at the West End of Glasgow and everybody used to come up and it was cases of carry-out. You couldn't get on the coach for the drink. I can't see the attraction myself. No, I, I know it's not your seat. No, but I've got it's not. Been but for the sake of the story, yeah, we'll go on with it. And, that. you know... The boys were having to stop for their first uh, <laughs> urinal uh, at, Waterloo. at Hamilton, sort of thing, you know, <laughs> on the way out. So you found that it was very difficult, but they were all kilted, you know, and as like true Scotsman, you would, you would know it? exactly. So we had great times. I get brought up and remember we were, I think at this time we were maybe 15, we were trying to get in string fellas in London when <laughs> we were 15, you know, with, with the boys. And the rules in those days was you booked one room, you booked one room in one of the hotels. And we would all have a key. Well, we would have two would go into the room, but we'd somehow have to get the other eight up into the room. You know, the problem came when it was breakfast, when there was only two for breakfast, and everybody was trying to get down. So, you know, we had great times. So, following Scotland, I followed Scotland everywhere. You know, and I've I've been a massive supporter. Gone to all the games at Hamden. World Cups. World Cups. I went to the World Cup in Italy, mm-hmm. and we went in the car with the. Uh, one people, Peter Martin. Oh, aye. Peter Martin. Good football player, he is. Been against no. him. He is, if he's listening. Fat Peter. Well, that's between you and him. <laughs> well, Peter, myself, my brother and a friend, and we had an old Audi, and we all got in the car and we drove. We drove to the south of France to watch Scotland, and we, we stopped in uh, just outside Nice, on Tebes, actually, I'm just, it's coming back to me. And right. we uh, we drove every day to Genoa to see Scotland, play to see Scotland. And we had a great time following Scotland and, uh, you know, going to the games. So I've been to the World Cup in France, where I was more getting, getting to a level of coaching. That year, I had wrote to nearly all the countries and said, any chance of me coming and watching the training? Could I come and watch the training? And I get no reply. The only country who said yes I could come and watch was Scotland and Craig Brown was the manager. Mm. Now, I had done all my coaching badges in Scotland. I had known all the players. I was a, a manager myself at the time. So I really didn't need to go and watch Scotland. <laughs> I needed to go somewhere else. But Craig was the only one. We were in Avignon and I watched the training in Avignon. And to be fair to Scotland, they gave me tickets for games in Montpellier and Marseille and had a wee car. And at that time, I've got to say, I'd, I, I wasn't well off of that at the time. You know, I wasn't... No, I was I was grateful for the support I got because you know, a lot of my career I hadn't been at the top level, I hadn't been earning big money. You know, I was I was doing as best I could to sort of keep a good job and enjoy mm-hmm. my football. I got good support at that time from the PFA in England and also, you know, the, the Scottish FA helped me out with tickets going to the game. Mm-hmm. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Where do you think, because you were then asking other nations to let you in to see their footballing styles or how they trained or maybe how they ate or rehydrated, etc. You had this adventure at 16 to Iceland. You're now in Spain. Ever since I've known you and your brother I've known longer, we've had conversations about where might there be opportunities in the top level of continental football? Where's the drive to take the risk to come abroad, to experiment, to see different football cultures come from, do you think, in you? I've had a a real drive and and a passion for football. That's probably my biggest thing. I've got a passion for football. I love going to watch it. I keep getting said, oh, David Moyes is at a game, he must be he must be scouting a player, he must be watching a player. Half of the time it's my love of football which mm. takes me out to see the games. Now what happens, the more football you see, the more players you see, the more different styles you see, you sometimes see a new corner kick routine. You, so the more you watch, the more chance you have of picking up ideas. But my love is going to watch games. My thought was always, I need to see what other people are doing. I qualified as a coach in Scotland when I was about 21, 22 and once you're qualified, you're qualified. But then what I've done is I went and done the whole coaching badge again in England when I was 28, 29, when you don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to show that, well, in case people in England don't actually think the Scottish badge is any good, I'll go and do it in England as well. So I became a qualified coach in England, even though you didn't need to do it. So I was always trying to better myself. But strangely enough, you know something? I wasn't doing it with the thought that, hey, this is going to make me a coach. I was hoping that hey, maybe I'll be able to be a youth team manager or run a youth club or whatever it may be and unfortunate enough to have, have uh, gone on and done well but the drive to come abroad was the thought to find out what else is going on elsewhere just like it was to go and see hopefully see France training or Spain or Germany it was just the opportunity to see look, is there anything I'm missing is there anything I should be doing am I tactically not doing things right or how do the players train and uh, one year I got to uh, watch Italy in, in Cavecciano and it was great in Florence I went down and I got to watch Italy training and uh, the individual work they were doing with players was very good. The place that was pivotal for you was Lancashire, particularly with Preston as a player and then becoming a coach. You had promotions, you had playoffs, 
if I'm not wrong, you had David Beckham in your dressing room. Mm, we did. What the hell was that about? Mm. How did he end up there? Preston North End's got an unbelievable history. In the day, of course. And probably one of the finest English footballers ever to be in this country in, in Tom Finney. And not only because of he was English, but because of the way he conducted himself. Not only played for one club, lived in the city after his football, still represented the town, the people, everything. So Tom Finney, you know, had, is a great tradition and, and was a great man. So at that time, you know, Preston was a, was a good opportunity for me. I moved away. I got a chance to move up through the ranks there from being a, a player to a player coach to an assistant to the manager. And it was a great journey at Preston. They were really good to me. But I've got to say, Preston were on a good journey as well then. We got to the, the final against Bolton, Sam, Big Sam's team, and we lost in the final at Cardiff to take us into the Premier League. Now, at that time, you know, the teams who came up were, were Blackburn was under Graham Souness, Fulham was under Tigana, as I just said, Bolton were under Sam Allardyce. Those three teams, I think, stayed in the Premier League for 10 years after that. It was an incredible record. And had significantly more financial resources than Correct. you had. So we came really close at Preston. We were very, very close to getting a club like that into the big league against at that time. Against it seems extraordinary teams. when you say it now, because if you tried to imagine Preston being in the Premier League right now, it'd be, it's a really hard ask, and it isn't that long no. ago. But the other thing you've got to say is, the clubs who come up at now in the Premier League, you know, teams are coming in and doing maybe one year and bobbing out again yeah. because they can't do it. Those three teams that get promoted stayed for 10 years in the Premier League. When you put that whole thing in perspective, you say, hey, wait a minute, now we lost on the day to Bolton and we didn't go up in. I really wish I could have got Preston in the, in the Premier League. That was one of my big regrets that I didn't get them there. But David Beckham did come, and David Beckham was fantastic. As a boy, his attitude, his commitment was, oh, second to none. And all the stories you used to hear about him standing out, taking free kicks in the young days and corner kicks, he'd done all that. The, the best part of it was I was assistant manager at the time, and David Beckham was playing for Manchester United reserves against Aston Villa reserves. It was at Walsall. I can remember the game. Gary Peters was the manager, and we both drove down. Gary Peters was a great worker. You know, went out and saw the games and looked at the players. He was a very good worker. Went down to the game, and I was still a player. I was the centre half in the team and assistant manager. And we went down and uh, we watched them. I remember we came away in the car, and I'm saying, I don't think he's strong enough for us, Gary. I don't think David Beckham's strong enough. Not physically going to be strong enough to play in the team. You know, a bit weak looking. Gary says, no, he's good enough, don't you worry, he'll be good enough for the team. And I remember it. And he was right. David Beckham came in and was, was a star. Only came for a month, and I think the best part of it, he went back after the month and Sir Alex put him back you know, in the United team, and really the rest is, is history from there. Had the month helped David a lot? I do bit? think the month had helped. I think his humility as a boy. We got promoted that season, and it was at Orient, and David Beckham came into the dressing room with his dad, and I thought that was a big, a big touch. He didn't forget the month or so uh, he'd had with us. So I can only say good things about David Beckham. I think he stands out that, apart from whatever talent he was born with, his work ethic has been extraordinary. And his determination has been extraordinary. And they landed lucky maybe being in a good group of boys, all of whom mm. wanted to rise like mm. he did, working for a mm. tremendous man-manager mm. as well at a big club. But, you know, he, he possibly, I would say without being flattering you at all he shares a work ethic with you I think you share that determination to, to leave everything out there not to be embarrassed about leaving everything out there because a lot mm -hmm. of people I think would like to pretend it's easier mm -hmm. I can handle this mm -hmm. and I do it 
but maybe Scots in general, but I know mm. you yeah. put everything out there, and Beckham did too, I think, didn't yeah. he? He did. I think David Beckham got the best out of everything he had. He practised, he made himself better, you know, and, and everything he got, he went on to be, I mean, he is probably one of the, the most worldwide known football players in the world now. It's extraordinary to think of it, given, you know, coming into the press and dressing room as a, yeah. as a youngster, 94, yeah, 5, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he came in and, and he settled in. He actually scored direct from a corner and he was renowned at that time, you know, for his dead balls and, and his free kicks. And, and you know, he, he was, he went out and he practised and it's simple to say, but a lot of the players, practice is the thing you yeah. need to keep doing. For young players, you know, whatever your position, whatever your skills are, you know, practice is the thing you need to really pick up and keep working on. I remember when Celtic had a Dutch manager, a Dutch manager who'd played with Cruyff, mm-hmm. and instead of calling it training, he began to call it practice, and that caught on, and people began to regard the work a little bit differently. It wasn't just training, it wasn't just running. You could practice things, which I think mm-hmm. wasn't common in our culture then. No, that, that's right. And, and then going back to a little bit, I said, I felt that in my days when you were a younger player, when you get moved from the youth team to the reserve team, you had to find your feet very quickly. You know, you were given a few games, but then you're a reserve team player. You had to learn, you had to go with it, develop yourself. When you went from the reserve team to the first team, yeah, you were allowed one or two games, young boy coming into the team. But after that, then you had to be a player, you had to be part of the team. You know, I think in the eras gone by, a lot of young players developed without a great deal of coaching, whereas we're probably in a world of football now where there's a a great deal more coaching, a lot more coaches available, probably a lot more hours put into the players now. than More strategy? I think more strategy, more thought, more science. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the science in sport now has gone to an incredible level, and I can only see it getting better now. We, we know how many touches of the ball, we know how far they run. You can depend what science you want to look for. And I think there's more to come in, in sport in general. You know, you know, how are players feeling? You know, mm-hmm. when are they going to be at their peak? I think the future of, sort of sports science is, is maybe just beginning. It'll not necessarily get you a winning team. And uh, I don't think it will be totally that, but I do think it's a big part of football now. You can maybe start to eliminate errors that you only used to see retrospectively. Yeah. You mentioned his name as an Aberdonian. Mm. I remember the first time I saw Alec Ferguson. I remember the first time I met Alec Ferguson. I remember my first bawling out from him, which was at the World Cup, for mm-hmm. suggesting to him um, as he was getting us tickets for the Russia game mm-hmm. that maybe Jockstein should <coughs> drop Alan Ruff and mm-hmm. replace him with the Aberdeen keeper, yeah. Jim Layton. And he gave it to me both barrels right there in the lobby of the hotel mm. in, in the Costa del Sol. Can you remember the first time you met Fergie? I'll tell you the first time I really, my memories really go back, was probably, I was sitting in the dugout at Celtic Park. I was substitute against Aberdeen, sort of looking from one dugout to the other and seeing Sir Alex in, in full voice, if you want to call it that. <laughs> And, and that was probably my, my memory. Of course, we knew Sir Alex from his management, and I remember him very slightly as a player at Glasgow Rangers. But uh, the biggest thing is actually when I was in the dugout looking across and seeing him because he had a great Aberdeen team as well at that time. We could talk a little bit about that if you like. Well, you know, you know I'm sure you're, you're probably a master in talking about that. They were inspiration to me, but when you say in full, you know, it, he was a sight to behold. and. The electricity that he emanated in difficult grounds for that Aberdeen side, say Ibrox and Parkhead, but also abroad as they wanted to win mm-hmm. the Cup of Cup. He had something that you talked about Billy had, and of course he, he succeeded Billy mm-hmm. at Patodi, where irrespective of making good decisions or making people either inspired by you or 
fearful of you. Some people do emanate mm-hmm. uh, something electric. Some people naturally inspire yeah. footballers to follow them. He, mm-hmm. he had that, presumably. He had that, but he was from a, an era in Scottish managers who were tough. <laughs> they came from a tough Scottish years. You know, one of the questions I continually get asked is, why is Scotland so successful with their coaches and their managers? It's not biased, I think it's right. I think they run the best coaching courses, and they, they have done. But I used to always say, when I went in my coaching courses as a young coach, Sir Alex would be there, Walter Smith would be there, you know, Craig Brown would be there, Andy Roxburgh, who was head at UEFA in the end, would be there. I was gifted with so many good coaches and good knowledge. But I'll tell you what, they were good coaches, but they were really tough. Mm-hmm. They were tough managers. They didn't take prisoners, you know. You were expected to perform. There was a level where you had to perform at. And I think that, obviously, it's changed. Society's coaching and management has changed in, in how you can deal with players but that era of managers in Scotland were, were very strong. And that's where I think Sir Alex was in the main. He, was, he kept that going longer than, than most people because of what he had. He had that background. And I think, that, I think it works. And I think that if you can keep it, I think it can be successful. But I do think that probably even Sir Alex, maybe in his, his nearer his end days, maybe wasn't given so many hair dryers as he had done no. in the past. Because... There is a change to everybody who becomes a coach. You know, you have to you have to evolve with the time and the era and the players you're with. I haven't researched this. I've looked back on some of the things that, that I'm asking you. I'm going to ask you, but I might make a, a boob here. But did he ask you to assist him? Yeah, I, I thought that mm-hmm. when you were at Preston or yeah, Preston. I got a phone call from actually uh, one of my players who was big friends with Darren. It was Mark Rankin, and they were big friends with that. He says. Uh, Alex wants to meet you. Mm-hmm. He was someone who I, I really respected. And, of course. You know, for me, being a young Scottish manager, he was the godfather. You know, he was the, he was the one you would look up to. So I went and, and met him. He, he asked me if I'd come to his house. I went into his house and uh, he, he said, look, I'm going to have a new assistant manager. I'm interested in bringing you. So we talked. I think to myself, you know, I wonder what, uh, you know, what it's going to be like. What but of course, I'd have been interested... Now, just as we were leaving, he said to me, look, there's one other person who, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak to as well. And I said, it's no problem. I was in a great job at Preston. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have... Would you have left to go to Manchester United then? It would be so difficult to say no. That would have been for sure. But the one thing I was, I was in a great job with great people and, and working on my own. As it was, Steve McLaren became Sir Alex's number two. And I remember when I asked Sir Alex, you know, after maybe, you know, why was it that you know, you didn't think I, I would have been suitable or that. He says, you're maybe a bit too intense. And I thought to myself, a bit like I saw you across the dugout when you were the manager at Aberdeen and I was a ma- when I was a young player at Celtic. So there was a bit of that where I thought, OK, no problem. I wasn't, I wasn't in need of the job. I wasn't desperate for the job. It's quite a surprising reply, given that... Because, listen, mm. unlike you and certainly unlike me, we've begun to talk in euphemisms. Yeah. Because when Fergie's angry or when Fergie's intense or when he wants something or when he went and knocks somebody down yeah. or whatever, it's a force of nature. Yeah. And it's dangerous to be around. Mm-hmm. That's not to say we both know he's a hugely intelligent man, a strategic man, mm-hmm. well-read, increasingly well-educated. Mm-hmm. I think people around him have said for many years now that if he'd chosen to be a politician if he'd chosen to be a leader mm. of industry he'd have probably achieved something similar but for him to say that you might be too intense I don't know if that's a compliment but I tell you it's damn strange the only thing Manchester United that year went on to win the, the European Cup they did. and I thought to myself would that not have been nice to have had a medal from the European Cup 
that's for sure. now in those yeah. situations. Yeah. So, but that's the way football is, and in many ways, the path that I took, I think, was probably the right path. That you know, and that uh, I stayed at Preston and waited for the opportunity till I left. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.